Hey there! Thanks for listening to the Infinite Podcast, where we want to challenge the people of God to see the realities of their context and reflect on and reformulate concepts such as mission, missionary, mission field, holistic mission, and more. In this episode, we return to a conversation that we had with Nina Balmaceda during the Stop Ediaco Forum on peacebuilding and conflict transformation from a lens of postcolonialism and indigenous Christianity. This conversation was facilitated by Shadia Kupti, a member of the Infinite Community from Israel-Palestine, and includes the questions from other participants. Listen and learn with us about the Word Made Flesh, seeking transformation and reconciliation. I'm privileged to introduce Nina Balmaceda, and I thought today maybe we can ask you that question. Who is Nina Balmaceda? Thank you, Shadia. Thank you, everybody. It's great to be here with you. Um, I think I am a teacher or a, an educator, but mostly a learner. Um, I, I, I love to, to learn with anyone who wants to invest time in, in discovering. And uh, because I have had several career paths in my life, uh, I describe myself mostly as an interdisciplinary learner. I come from the human rights field and later became a, a professor of political science. And now here I am in a school of theology trying to find those points, points of connection in, in learning so much from uh, all my students and my colleagues. And certainly I, I look forward to learning with all of you today. Beautiful. So you've had enough time to do the practice, to be work in the field, and kind of juggled now trying to put it into uh, academia. Um, that's great, lovely. Um, so my first question to you, Nina, perhaps maybe you can shed a bit more uh, about what inspired you to be involved in this work. Like, why why do you do what what you do? Thank you. Um, I grew up. I am Peruvian currently living in the United States, but um, I grew up uh, during some of the worst years of my country. Uh, between 1980 and 2000, Peru was uh, immersed in an internal armed conflict. For all practical purposes, it was a civil war. And of course, like any civil war, it did not affect, affect the, the whole territory, but certain areas. So. In a way, I was protected because I happened to be from the capital city. And, um, and the war didn't reach the capital city until the very last stages. But people who lived particularly in the Amazon region, and especially in the so southern Andes of the country, they suffered greatly the violence from the rebels, uh, more than one group of rebels, but one of them uh, probably some of you have heard about was the Shining Path. Uh, also the Tupacamaru revolutionary movement. Um, so a lot of people suffered their horrendous violence. And then the incompetence, I could use several adjectives to describe the decisions by the government, but let's call it incompetence for now, allowed a brutal response uh, from military forces against the rebels in liking most, if not all civil conflicts around the world. There were lots of millions of people that were caught between the two fires who were victimized and re-victimized uh, by the other side of the conflict. 
So I grew up in that context, reading about that in the newspaper, listening to news of that in the on the radio, and a, a lot of violence shown in, in television in a way that it became normal to me. And, uh, and I want to highlight two things about that, that growing up in that context and hearing about all these people being killed and the attacks of the terrorism of the terrorists and not being able to be outside in the street, like feeling free and secure. I thought that that's how at least all of Latin America was. Uh, maybe I didn't generalize to the world, but I, I thought it was normal until the first time I left my country and I just visited a neighboring country and met people there. And so that when a policeman approached me, I started to be so nervous because I would be truly afraid of the police in my own country. While my friends in, in my neighboring country were like, what's going on, Nina? Like, I was scared because I had left my passport in the hotel. Mm. And they said, that's not a problem, Nina. We're not doing anything wrong. What? Why are you so nervous? And then I realized that my youth had happened in an abnormal context, that mm -hmm. that is not how we are supposed to live. And I, let me remind you, I was actually quite protected compared to so many people, especially people of Quechua and Aymara descent in Peru or the indigenous groups in the, in the Amazon region of my country. There was no one to protect them. So that was one thing I, I would like to highlight what inspired me to, to work for peace and reconciliation, and especially justice, which I don't, don't see as separate from the calling to work for reconciliation. But the other thing I, I wanted to mention briefly is that I have been a Christian most of my life. I had a conversion experience when I was a very young teenager. I was still in early years in high school, and I joined a beautiful church that gave me a great community, a place where the study of the Bible was taken very seriously. And still in that beautiful community where we spent so much time reading the Bible and praying and worshiping the Lord. I'm a horrible singer, but boy, I sang in that church so much. Mm. We never talked about what was happening in our country. And what were the causes for that terrible conflict? In much less what we could do <laughs> to build peace in a country torn apart by horrendous violence. And uh, it was not until I, I went to, to law school and I joined a Bible study group on campus because that's you know, what a good Christian does. You look for places where you can study the Bible. I still do that. Um, but it was there when I met Christians of other, denominations, I met Catholic people, um, Christians from different disciplines for sure. There were a few from my own law school, but there were people from the engineering field and the arts and social science. And then I realized how much I had lost by being so a little too protected in the bubble that my church was. Now, I don't want to speak. I mean, I, I hope I'm not misinterpreted that I am condemning my, my church or my origins, but what I'm trying to say is that it was really a good community, but it was incomplete. It was there was no place allowed to analyze what was happening to Peru. Now, what I'm telling you is not only the story of 
a, a, you know, a girl in Peru. It happened to people in Chile. It happened to people in Bolivia, in Brazil, El Salvador, Honduras, Argentina. During the Cold War, after the Cold War, as we're speaking right now, it is happening in Colombia and in so many other places around the world. And, and this is the question we as Christians, is there room for us that we take studying the Bible seriously, we take prayer seriously and, and worshiping and coming together in song, which again, I very much appreciate, is there room for us to consider our context and to lament together and to break before the Lord and ask for God's guidance to receive his direction about what we can do to contribute to peace, even though we know that um, perfect peace and a perfect society will come in the future. But as the Lord's kingdom comes fully, what are we required to do? Beautiful. I can resonate with that also coming from the Middle East, right? Conflict is unfortunately part of um, our growing up. And I really like what you said, take your faith seriously and try to address the, con the your context. Um, Speaking of that, I mean, uh, you know, can you give maybe a, a wider definition of what is reconciliation? Of what, what does that look like? Well, that's a great question, right? It's like the question of what is justice? Uh, it really depends what dictionary you use. Um, we have been taught different things about reconciliation and different things about justice, different things about peace. What, what is peace? the absence of conflict or is it true harmony and, and shalom and salam so i would say the way i humbly present to, to all of you how i understand reconciliation is the transformation of, of relationships that include for sure the transformation of interpersonal relationships if there is hate in my heart if there is unforgiveness, that is something the Lord wants to transform. And if I need to ask forgiveness from others, if I need to repent, certainly that's what the Lord wants from us. In fact, that is the biblical instruction before you come to the Lord and bring your offering, whether it's an, a material offering, an offering of song, an offering of prayer, an offering of anything, first go and make peace with your brother, make peace with your sister. So that interpersonal component, I believe, is essential in the concept of reconciliation. But as someone who comes from the human rights field in political science, I, I just can't, I just don't feel comfortable ending the definition there. We need to consider the other dimensions of reconciliation, forgiveness and repentance especially in contexts of post-armed conflict or of current exploitation and marginalization of, uh, of human groups. So I think I would, you see, I never speak of reconciliation without using the term transformation yeah. because too many times different groups of people and especially governments want to use reconciliation basically with the message of forgive and forget. It's focused to be on the present and the future. Let's build a, bright, build a bright future. We don't need to revisit the terrible past. Yeah. I don't think that's the reconciliation the Lord is calling us to build. 
but a reconciliation that includes this dimension uh, of seeing each other, one another, as members of a political community. And, and therefore, reconciliation from a lens of a political community means that we work to affirm everyone's fundamental rights and everyone's access to equal opportunity. Not necessarily equality in the results, because there are so many factors that we play, including personal effort and personal responsibility for sure. But to focus on allowing everyone that their rights are not only recognized on paper, which is in Latin America across the world, our constitutions, our laws are very advanced, very progressive laws on paper. Try to <laughs> implement them in practice and that there's where you find humongous challenges to defending the rights of indigenous people, the rights of children, the rights of women, the rights of Afro-descendants, the rights of people in poverty, the rights of people with disability, the rights of people with a different, uh, you know, minor, minoritized people, mm -hmm. right? Like they are not necessarily minorities in number, but they have been minoritized. They have become vulnerable, not because of any inherent condition, but because has, how society regards them and how society deprives them of equal opportunity. Um, so, so from that perspective, I, I consider reconciliation a, a very ambitious concept that creates very clear demands on us as members of a political community, as citizens. Beautiful. Yeah. It explains it's, it's a journey, as you said, in, in the methodology, right? It's not a, a short-term event or something like that. So it, it resonates a lot also where, where I'm coming from, um, you know, affirming everyone's rights, everyone's access to resources. Beautiful. It, listening through the, the methodology, I think I, I acknowledge as an, as an evangelical, there's a few, uh, I think the word lament, it's heard a lot, uh, but I think, I don't, I don't think I'm, I can't say I'm familiar with what the term means. And I was hoping maybe you can maybe give an elaboration um, of, of what lament means maybe, because I think the understanding is that it's maybe deep sorrow or melancholy state. Um, and, and, I, and again, you know, you mentioned the escapism, which I think you also mentioned in your personal uh, a testimony or your personal motivation. So how do we kind of stay in between maybe escapism and I don't know, the, at the other end is hopelessness. Uh, maybe can you give some process through that? Yes, Shadia. I also come from an evangelical context. I must confess living in the United States, I am becoming increasingly uncomfortable by identifying as an evangelical, unfortunately, but I'm a Christian and uh, because I am not Catholic, I guess that makes me Protestant. And, um, you know, I think it, it's enough to recognize each other as Christians without any particular, but I, I mean, I, I respect people identify with certain historical traditions. Mm. Um, well, if that's the case, I come from an evangelical tradition that rejects tradition. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also have, um, you know, been learning with Reformed brothers and sisters and with, especially with Mennonites. 
and, and that's the one thing I've been learning the most in my last years um, about lament. In the evangelical context, I have observed that there is this illusion that because we know where we're going, like that, that is very clear, right? In the evangelical imagination, like a very clear um, vision of, of God's kingdom coming and his victory. And we rejoice in that, that our hope is secure. It is, it was gained not by our own effort. Actually, we did nothing for that. Our Lord Jesus Christ, God who became flesh, earned it on the cross, earned it with an immaculate life that was sacrificed on the cross in, in his resurrection. He sealed the deal. He finished it. All it's done in his victory over death has secured a future for all of us, for all of humanity who wants to come under his love and mercy and affirm his, his purpose, his good purposes for humanity. But we could make a mistake, I think, if we want to dwell in that without seeing what connects us to our land today, where we are planted. Or if you are like me or like Shadia, where we were planted and we grew and then we were replanted somewhere else for a time, right? So the story of, of, of someone like me, I'm an immigrant to the United States. Uh, and I, I'm afraid that sometimes, especially in the evangelical world, we are missing that connection to where we are planted and what the context is. And we need to, if not reaffirm that, we need maybe to build that, to connect the joy and the hope that we have in our Lord, that security that we find in him, to the pain, the desperation that is so real in the world today, in the so many things that make our Lord being appalled as opposed to being joyful, right? So God cares when a child is hungry. God cares when a woman suffers violence. God cares with a, when a person with disability is mistreated. God cares when someone, because of their appearance, whatever appearance that is, is deprived of a meaningful job or of housing. Or, you know, we could go on and on describing the many injustices, uh, the very real offenses against God that happen every day. So I, I would say maybe the triumphalist attitude um, is not so helpful to build reconciliation. And actually through opening our eyes to the terrible realities that we human beings have created because of our greed, because of our thirst for power, because of our desperation to accumulate material wealth. We are destroying one another. We are destroying certain groups who are, we perceive to be different from us instead of affirming our common humanity. And for sure, we are destroying this planet. 
and our greed is destroying this planet and, and people and the rest of creation are suffering because of that abuse of power that human beings are creating. And of course, I am not saying that all human beings share the same responsibility, right? I mean, I am talking about people with power, economic power, political power, social power. So there is a lot missing if we do not open our hearts to be willing to see reality and to be open to lamenting before the Lord. Instead of proclaiming victory, which is his, and it is sure, we actually proclaim repentance. We proclaim that we have sinned by doing, but also by omission, that we have failed to stand up for the widow and the orphan, to stand up for our brothers and sisters who are hungry, to stand up for the essential workers that are not protected and still have to go out in work and, and being at risk during this time of terrible pandemics. There are too many pandemics, including COVID-19, but it's not the only pandemic we are suffering. We have failed for too long to, to be silent against racism. We have failed for too long to be silenced against uh, the abuse of political power in the sinful concentration of economic power in our countries. Yeah. So there is a great need for lament. And yes, it, it certainly includes emotion, being open to be one person as opposed to just intellectually connected to an issue. But, but I do believe it is mostly an opening of our minds to the spirit to bring light to our darkness. Because sometimes we are just, our mindset is so dark, we don't even see it. But to, for, to open ourselves to, this, to the power of the spirit. Sometimes I imagine this. <laughs> I know it's, it's kind of a, a very earthly metaphor, but it's like God comes in with a flashlight. And, uh, and our Lord shows us within our minds, individual, but especially in our communities and in our countries, where those webcams are, where the, the mice may have made their, their nest and, and where other creatures uh, that make me very nervous may be hidden. Those sins, those social sins, those economic and political sins that we just let go. And we have this disproportionate focus on certain things, right? Like we are so scandalized about sexual issues. And I do believe there is a place to talk about sexual health, of course. But we are wrong if we think that that's the only thing that God cares about. Oh, great, that's, that's helpful, very helpful. Um, I think Nina wants to ask you a question. I'll, I'll give you the floor, Nina. Thanks. Um, yeah, I really loved the part of the word made flesh methodology that says that the place in which we do theology matters. And I had a question, I guess, considering what does it mean to invest in a community when it feels like our world has never been bigger? Like thinking about in terms of justice or caring about different issues, it feels like every day I open up my phone and someone's saying, oh, you need to pay attention to this, this mm. tragic or horrible or huge thing is happening miles and miles away from me. Um, and so what does it mean, I guess, you know, the, the question of who is my neighbor is suddenly widened to a point where 
it's so hard to care for everything, but you want to. So what does it mean to invest and really do justice and seek transformation in, in a community? And that's a very important question, Mina. I imagine that you probably have better answers than I do for that question. <laughs> but 30 years ago, when I started uh, being involved in uh, the study and, and, and the practice of peace building, uh, I just started thinking, this is what I am going to do for these people, <laughs> right? And sometimes people are in fact so disempowered that they need others to act first. But if we think that it is things that we do for people, I think we are really missing it. We want to do things with people. And I am very concerned about the well-being of brothers and sisters of all religions in other countries, as well as in my own current country, as well as in my home country of Peru. But building peace is something that we do locally, that in that we do with people, not for people. Therefore, I would invite everyone to really be invested with the people that they can be present with. And that's one of the most terrible impacts of the current pandemic of COVID-19, right? That it has deprived us. It's been a year already. And I pray that it will not be too much longer, but who knows, it's, it is still a, a very sad reality that most countries do not have an adequate vaccination. Um, but to try to do with requires presence. Right? We are learning to be present with one another through Zoom, like we're mm -hmm. doing right now, and yeah. learning from each other about our experiences and learning carefully about the different contexts. But, but certainly peace building requires us to, to look at our context, to use the resources that we have with the people we wish to serve and to affirm and contribute to build agency. So here is like a, one of my biggest concerns about Christianity is that many people assume that because there are so many things that are mysterious, like the capacity of a victim to forgive, right? Like to me, that's a mystery how someone is led by God and the power of the Holy Spirit brings liberation from hate, from the, our very natural desire for revenge. And instead we find forgiveness in a genuine desire to build peace with the person that has harmed us so much. So that's a mystery. And, and there are so many mysteries in the way in which the Lord works and the Holy Spirit works through people. But there is a lot more that God wants to do that people, I think, feel have more like a magical imagination rather than a spiritual imagination. Like I've heard many, too many times that the best way or even the only way to transform a country is making everyone converted to our preferred religion and our preferred form in which we practice our religion. 
And when that happens, there won't be any more armed conflict. There won't be any more injustice. There won't be any more corruption. We just need to make them part of our preferred Christian version. Of. Yeah. To me, that's magical thinking. I mean, honestly, I, I understand the Lord calls us to make disciples and to model the kingdom of God. I think that's a very clear vocation for everyone who loves the Lord. We want to announce the good news of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think that means that everyone should come to Nina's church necessarily. And I would not pretend that my interpretation is the only one. But what I'm trying to say is that if we really want armed conflict to stop, if we want corruption to stop, if we want violence against women, children, and uh, you know, person who do, people who do not conform to our preferred pattern of behavior or whatever you want to call it, if we want all of that, all of those forms of abuse, we really need to work. And we need to work very hard. It is not magical. God wants to use us. God wants us to model and maybe more than with announce more than with words to announce with our example. And therefore all of that, Nina, invites us to work locally. Now, of course, in you know, it would be it would be so wrong for me to just focus in my community. I happen to my community is an academic community in a very distinguished university. If, if we would say, well, we're just gonna work in our community here in, at Duke University, it, it would be so incomplete, right? So irresponsible because yes, we have to admit it. We, are, we live in a context of abundance. So we look at our most immediate community you know, the city of Durham or the research triangle. Um, and then we think, what can we do to affirm and support in a non-colonial way, let me highlight that, the work done by our brothers and sisters in places where abundance is not the rule. They may have abundance of the spirit for sure and abundance of personal investment and abundance of intelligence. But yes, material resources make a difference. So if for those of us who live in a context of relative material abundance, we do have a responsibility to offer that recognizing that that belongs to God, not to us. Last night I was in a presentation by our sister Hokabet Solano. She was presenting her conclusions from her uh, research project for her master's degree with City uh, Continental. And, um, and it was, I wanna highlight just this, this piece. I hope you can watch the, the video. I'm sure Seti will publish it in Spanish. Um, it, it was this learning about the land. It is not so much that, the, that we possess the land, but that by recognizing that the land is Lord's and we belong to the Lord, Actually, the land possesses us. I love that image that we do not see ourselves, human beings, as the center, that we put God, creator, who has established natural laws, moral laws, but also not, I mean, I'm talking about nature, the laws of nature in this planet that, that make it flourish, that, and that 
we are many times going against those laws. So coming back to Nina's point is we want to be involved, be involved and invest locally, but also recognize our responsibility because everything belongs to God to affirm and empower brothers and sisters in other places with what we can contribute to them. May it be some maybe knowledge, certainly material resources, uh, helping them um, increase their voice presence, giving them opportunities for their voices to be heard. Great, thank you. Uh, we have two questions, one from Ben and one from Jeffrey. We'll start with uh, Ben. Ben's question is transformation and reconciliation. Which one, of, which one for you comes first and why? Or are they for you simply inseparable? Thank you. Again, it depends what dictionary we use. <laughs> uh, I am not going to speak for my colleagues at the center. I'm gonna be very transparent with my own conviction. I don't think we have a conflict, but I just don't want to presume that I know what my very appreciated colleagues at the Center for Reconciliation would answer. In my understanding, reconciliation means the transformation of relationships. So from this more overarching understanding of reconciliation, on re reconciliation is the beginning and it's also the goal, it is a process. Some people may prefer to see it as the goal, uh, there are very clear things. We seek justice. We defend the rights of the victims. We affirm the voices of the vulnerable. We work with them to diminish, if at all possible, eliminate their vulnerabilities. We make the justice system work for the poor, for women, for children, for non-heterosexual people, for everyone, for non-dominant people. And then, then we can speak about reconciliation. That, that's also a legitimate way of looking at it. Uh, I personally uh, cannot speak of reconciliation without referring to a process of transformation. Mm. So I, I, would, I would say it's the latter, right? Simply inseparable. Great, thank you. Um, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey's question is, one of my concerns regarding a rights-based approach is that it doesn't root itself in the creator's gift to humanity, its responsibility and task to use uh, Brugermanian language as Ruth put it before us in the last session, but jumps to rights. Mm -hmm. Excellent point. I have noticed that, uh, especially in the United States, um, People, Christian people are concerned about right, about uh, the, an overuse of rights. Um, okay, so maybe three things about this. The foundation for the argument of understanding reconciliation at the macro level as a political community that defends everyone's rights, the foundation for that is a theological foundation that we need to affirm and protect in practice everyone's equal rights, 
because we are equally created in the image of God. And it really doesn't matter really anything. As long as we are human beings, we should have equal opportunity to flourish. Again, some people, of course, some people are going to choose not to flourish, are going to, you know, not take advantage of opportunities. We cannot force them. But it is a great injustice in terms of rights. If we say, yeah, you have the right to live, but we let you live under horrible conditions where gangs, drug cartels, and abusive police do not let you live and, and your life will be curtailed before you turn 21, right? So when I talk about rights, I'm not only referring to the more formal establishment of rights in a constitution, which that's super important to have that legal framework, but I am really talking about how those rights that are theoretically recognized under law actually become truly implemented and exercised in practice. Uh, a second point, and that is again, based on a theological truth that we are all created equal in the eyes of God, no matter how we look. And, and actually I, I very much appreciate that we look different, it would be so boring if we all would look the same. Secondly, um, it seems to me that we need to recognize that we live in a pluralistic world, or we want, at least I want to live in a pluralistic world, where I recognize that not everyone who will be in charge of issuing laws, and especially implementing the laws and protecting rights and defending people in a system, uh, you know, the, the mishpat system, if you think of the Old Testament, the system to, to right wrongs, to correct uh, human wrong behaviors. I, I assume not everyone will be a Christian. Not everyone will take God's revelation in the Bible the way I take it. But I still want them to pursue reconciliation in this more overarching ways. And therefore to see how important their role as administrators and agents of justice is. And therefore to communicate with them, I need the language of rights. I need a legal framework so that they can see their responsibility when police deal, like let me tell a little bit about the context here in the United States, when, when the police deal with non-white people, I want them to recognize that non-white people as much as white people have the same rights to be ask to be treated with respect, not to shoot first and then ask, but to give them an opportunity to explain. So for me, that is extremely important that we as Christians affirm the rights of everyone because it is minoritized people who suffer the consequences when that is not adequately understood. But yes, on a theological discussion, for sure, I am a lot happier to talk about theological categories rather than rights. But when we talk about how to implement them in practice and work for reconciliation on the ground, I do believe we are called 
to use the law and certainly to work also for the transformation of unjust laws. I think, Nina, you know, in the meantime, while we kind of ponder on uh, the rich content you've provided, can you maybe recommend some further resources um, that would be helpful if anyone wants to look further into this topic or your methodology? Thank you. Yes, I, I, I want to mention uh, a couple of suggestions, but first a clarification. Uh, I didn't come up with this methodology that I have been honored to share with you. The Center for Reconciliation has <laughs> a number of professionals and uh, I am very much a learner here. And I am delighted to, to have the honor of telling you about this methodology that we apply, uh, but please, um, I, I, didn't come, I didn't create it. Um, but um, part of my work has to do with um, establishing bridges of collaboration with different communities uh, around the world and learning from them. And if whatever we can also contribute to their formation, we are also uh, delighted to do so. Uh, Center for Reconciliation at Duke University has established what we call regional initiatives for reconciliation. And I would love for you guys to maybe explore a little bit. There may be an initiative for reconciliation near you. And of course, today, COVID era, <laughs> we can really be together on Zoom, no matter where we are. But for the post-COVID era, I do hope also that uh, you will consider these regional initiatives. And I want to say, just this final one, uh, we also have the Americas Initiative for Transformation and Reconciliation. And, and this is the initiative that brings all of Latin America, the Caribbean, and the Anglo and French speaking countries uh, together in, a, in an effort online. And we have monthly sessions. Again, if you want to know more, feel free to visit us at our website uh, for the Center for Reconciliation at Duke Divinity School. Thank you. This is great. <clears throat> Sorry. Thank you so much. And yeah, it's very helpful to know that all of these um, initiatives are taking place uh, regionally and also nationally. Um, I think um, our time is uh, running up. I just, uh, Perhaps we'll give a, a closing. I really thank you very much, uh, Nina, for this rich uh, discussion and conversation with you. Uh, although you did not write the methodology yourself, but it's uh, uh, you presented it very well. I, I would have thought it was yours um, in the way you presented it. But uh, really, I mean, I think the the simplicity of the stages, but as well as the complexity of each one, is really high. You highlighted that very, very much. Um, just want to uh, bless you in your journey, uh, especially where you are right now and uh, in the complexities of the different pandemics we are going through uh, in our context. Again, thank you all for, uh, for joining and we look forward to the next discussion. And again, Nina, thank you very, very much and good luck to you. Thank you, friends. God bless you. Bye. Thank you. Warm greetings to you all. Warm greetings. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. 
please don't forget to subscribe to our channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the platform you prefer. If you think this could be helpful for someone you know, please share it with them. The best compliment we can receive is a referral to someone else. See you next time! Thank you.